Welcome to the Crypto Campfire. Leprechauns look for them at the end of the rainbow. Mitch and the Professor. Featuring special guest Alon Gorin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. This is the Professor. Hey Mitch. Today we've got Alon Gorin. He's the founder of Crypto Invest Summit, among several other entrepreneurial adventures. Before we start talking to Alon, let's go ahead and get a quick look at the news from the Crypto Gent. Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Cryptocurrency News in a Flash with the Crypto Gent. SBI Ripple Asia launches store settlement money tap app, including XRP powered payments. A wealthy investor has attempted to purchase 25% of the total supply of Bitcoin. Research from Chain Analysis indicates that 1.3% of total Bitcoin transactions have occurred in 2019. Cryptopia owes over $4 million to its creditors. Galaxy Digital founder Michael Novogratz says that Bitcoin will consolidate around $7,000 to $10,000. What an absolute genius. Where did he come up with that notion from? And most top cryptos are down around 5%. Back to you, Professor. Thanks, CryptoGent. All right, Alon. So you're the founder of Crypto Invest Summit. And I know you started a venture trying to help facilitate uh, startups as well. Why don't you tell us kind of a little bit about what you're doing in the crypto space and how you're trying to help startups thrive? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. First of all, uh, you guys are awesome. And uh, I love I love what you guys are doing here. And and uh, this is, uh, I think you said somewhere number 12. So you guys are already done more episodes than like 99.9% of people who said they're <laughs> going to start a podcast. So you guys are awesome. Um, Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, it. I, <laughs> yeah. So um, I, uh, I, I started Crypto Invest Summit with my partner, Joseph, a few years ago. Um, before that, it was called Crowd Invest Summit. So we kind of started in the space. Um, uh, because we were doing crowdfunding stuff. So I'm, I'm a techie myself and I had a company back in the day called Invested In that powered crowdfunding sites and online investing sites and stuff. And that whole industry kind of morphed into, uh, into crypto, um, you know, a couple of years ago when, when ICOs started becoming a thing. And, um, everybody in that space was either stoked about ICOs or was talking trash because they all wanted it to be compliant or talk about compliance and whatever. But um, what was funny is the last crowd invest summit we did, we literally had like a few of the lawyers who uh, were doing one of their talks, like run up to me at the beginning of one of the days and go like, Hey, can you let everyone know, like maybe through the app or like on a loudspeaker that we're also going to be talking about ICOs? to show up to their panels and stuff. And it was like so funny. Um, so we behind the scenes have been doing stuff in the crypto space forever. Even I, I have a funny thing that I, I um, when I had at the last CIS, we had uh, Charlie Lee come and speak. And part of me bugging him to get him to speak was me sending him a screenshot of an Amazon order I had made uh, in 2013 of a bunch of, uh, gaming uh gaming uh what should we call it? like graphics cards that we converted into a litecoin mining rig <laughs> right. um in, in in my office as a team building exercise because we wanted to explore using crypto for like micropayments and stuff for for crowdfunding sites um 
and then uh, unfortunately didn't play much in the space for a long time and then came back to it around uh, 2016 or so. But um, been been following it very closely and been been learning about it and knowing about it since since pretty much you know the earliest days of uh, of, of the space. Um, so we did Crypto Invest Summit and it kind of took off. And uh, in the meantime, a bunch of things shifted personally for me and for my partner. And we realized that like we got sucked in and CIS had become like our full time jobs. And that was never really the intention. So. We started investing in some of the companies and uh, advising a few of the companies and doing some cool things with them. And at a certain point, we realized like, holy crap, we've got an epic little portfolio here. And we've, we've started our... you know, I uh, at one point was a venture partner at a fund and I always was really into working in that space. And so uh, we kind of realized that we, we had our own fund going and our own little... We call it a venture studio, but essentially it's an incubator. You know, We've got nine portfolio companies. Three of them were the co-founders of. Um, and so we, we create our own cool companies that fill a need in the space. Um, and then we, uh, we also try to find a way to work with other companies or invest in other companies who we think we can help a lot. Uh, and we just use our platform to... To, to get them out there and help them. And uh, recently, we just, the big announcement was that we joined the Draper Venture Network, which is really, really epic. Um, that's awesome. Because, yeah. And, and we're the only sort of group that's not, you know, uh, structured as a traditional fund. There's like one or two accelerators in there, but, but we're the only ones that have this like weird, weird ass structure that doesn't really fit the mold. Um, and uh, that's pretty cool. And we're sort of, Positioned also as the only people that are purely focused on crypto and blockchain in there. Not that we're trading in and out of tokens through what we're doing. It's more just getting equity in companies building epic things for the space. That's fantastic. It's so cool to see you making waves and, and being successful at it. Thanks, man. It's, uh, you know, as you guys know, it's a roller coaster in this industry. And oh, you yeah. have to be a hardcore true believer and you have to be okay with not really making money for long periods of time because the cycles, <laughs> uh, the cycles are uh, not um, not easy to deal with. And maybe it's actually easier for folks who are traders who are trading in and out because volatility, no matter which direction, is is uh, a benefit to them. But but we're not traders. We just love early stage startups. And so just by default, being an early stage startup person means that uh, you 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 know, invest in a company, you become a part of a company and you wait 10 years to find out if you're going to lose your money or not um, right. <laughs> or make any money, right? If, right? if you're lucky, it's only 10 years, right? So it's, uh, it's like built into us to just wait and be long-term thinkers. So in the long term, like, you know, I think all of us could agree that this is, this is uh, a great time to be in this space. Oh, hell yeah. We're just at the beginning. Well, it, it, it truly says something when you when you put it like that, you know, it it means we're honestly in it for the tech and for the love of what it is, not the money. The money's a byproduct to guys like you or I or even the professor. You know, we're not traders, but we do little trades here and there to better ourselves, obviously, you know, but for the most part, our focus is the development of the future of cryptocurrency and trying to spread that adoption. And I, you know, that really helps to keep our focus on what we're doing and not worry so much about the money. In my mind, the money will come later. 
Oh yeah, well we're we're just so so early on in this space, right? Like as much as people, it's funny. Like uh, uh, somebody, um, my wife was telling somebody about what I do for a living the other day, and their response was like, "Oh, I thought that crypto thing was over." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it hasn't even freaking started. Like I mean, we're so early on. There's still so few people actually participating. We can be in our little echo chamber and be online and feel like it's such a big deal, but it's it really hasn't even begun yet. And I think that all, all of us um, being so early. Uh, and sticking with it means that we we have a long term uh, long term place in in this industry, and it, it will be sort of its own industry for a long while until it just becomes the norm. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm stoked, and I love the work you guys do in just spreading mass adoption. I think. Uh, Mitch, you said you're like out there now trying to get people to to use crypto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just left the Bronx Deli in Pontiac, and. Uh... That was pretty cool. You know, a week ago we did uh, another bar in Ann Arbor, you know, and, you know, I say bar like we're a bunch of bar hoppers, but they're more food, you know, food establishments um, that, you know, like that one we went to in Ann Arbor was called seven, you know, they have 70 taps, um, different, you know, microbreweries and stuff like that. Um, It's just, it, it seems like the space to be in for, you know, kind of a laid back atmosphere and and that's what we're shooting for, you know, and it's just so much fun. I mean, I ran into a guy today who actually has been trading since 2016 and been in the market, been into Bitcoin since 2016. And I, I was able to get his transaction on the live broadcast on Twitter and it was off the hook. Oh, my God. To find out, you know, just a happenstance run across somebody at this place that's paying with crypto. And it's like one of only maybe two places in the whole area that accepts cryptocurrencies for payment. So it was pretty cool, man. I, I got to say, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm loving it. And it's just uh, the passion is so strong and the drive. And it's just so much fun. I, I, I haven't had this much fun in forever. And, you know, guys like you are really setting the standard when it comes to development, when it comes to new ideas, you know. And that's the thing. The professor and I got into this. And I got so many ideas flowing through my brain, but I'm just a carpenter, man. I don't know how to put this stuff into a computer. Right? <laughs> so that's what I got this guy for, you know, I mean, and he's, I don't know. We, I think we just, we, we do really well together and I'm looking forward to a long future. Yeah. It, it's so just awesome. What, 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 what I would all say to, to you and to everyone out there that, that is, is like you, right. That maybe didn't grow up being a, supercomputer nerd or grow up online like that, or maybe did, but didn't do it for a living and did something else. Like I grew up in a house where my family business rebuilt auto parts. And, uh, and I was the dude who didn't go to school very much. And I was in wood shop and metal shop, every single grade from sixth grade <laughs> until like graduated high school okay. and in high school my last two years of school i got out at noon and two of my four classes were wood shop and metal shop and what i what i learn and tell people all the time that to get shit done and to do something uh in a business online is not that different like i grew up like my next sort of stage when i was going to school uh in college and working working for my dad and working at banks and working at restaurants and anything i could do to make money was promoting punk rock shows and having my own little online record label and i would tell people later 
on like doing startup stuff that marketing a startup was no different than 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 doing a punk rock show because all the same elements of just getting shit done and executing uh, are there and people who are really effective as a carpenter or as a, a woodworker or anything you do will be really effective in in any business um, you just have to know which elements are necessary, which is, you know, there's a learning curve there. But once you know, you know, you go, oh, I could call the professor. He'll do this. I could call <laughs> yeah. Juan. He'll do this. Now I've got all the pieces of the puzzle. Now let's fucking build. Right. You know? and, uh, and it's not that different because, you know, as a carpenter, even you probably specialize in something, but there might be someone who you think is an amazing cabinet maker or somebody else who's really good at making tabletops or somebody else that's really good at, at whatever. And everyone has their specialty and you just have to put it all together, right? So um, I, 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 I get a lot of people who are coming to me and be like, you know, you're talking about blockchain being the future, but like, man, I, I do this for a living and I don't know how to do it. And you do know how to do it because it's, you know, you're out there right now doing, doing an essential part of the whole ecosystem, which is marketing it and, uh, and getting people to accept it. And the more people accept it, the 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 more this this whole space grows and so you know you you uh i know you're being self-deprecating a little bit but like that that's just as essential as somebody building something you know how many epic startups are built that nobody ever sees like <laughs> it's and, and if there wasn't the marketing if there wasn't a person out there hustling and getting people to check it out no one would ever see it and right. as awesome as it could be it, it, it'll never amount to anything well, I think so, yeah. I think what it what it is is what it boils down to is work ethic. To be honest with you, you know, you say, yeah. you know, being a tradesman or being into something, you know, of that of that nature, you know, there's a certain work ethic that we have, you know, and I've been blessed with a strong work ethic, um, and I think that's what keeps me driven, you know. And then when you find something that really intrigues you, that really interests you, that you can really find passion in it just puts you over the top and no, there is no boundaries. You just have to get past them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And yeah, I, um, people ask me all the time about the events because we had a short period of time in the crypto space where it's really easy to put on an event <laughs> and people just planted their flag in the ground and people showed up. <laughs> right. And they, made, they got sponsors, they made money, everything was good. And that was like a, a flash in the pan. And then everybody else put on their next conference six months later, a week or a year later, and uh, and just lost all their money and had a crappy conference and nobody showed up. And they were all confused. And they're like, well, what's your guys' secret? You guys had a bigger conference in the bear market than when it was than, than uh, otherwise. And and we we constantly have to tell people like, yeah, there's some things we do that we, we think we're better at maybe than some other people. But it, that, that's not what really moves the needle uh, altogether. It's the amount of people who show up to something, just like the amount of people who use a product or anything like that, is directly proportionate to how hard you work and how hard you hustle and how much time you spend on it. It's, it's much less about secrets and, and these you know, special things people do. Like, like you said, you have a, it's 6.30 p.m. where you are and uh, you're online right now doing this when most people would be you know, at home or on their way home from work uh, to watch TV for the rest of the night. Exactly. That's that's a good point. It's just all it's all about that hustle and, and putting the drive in. And like Mitch said, the work ethic. And if you're if you're passionate enough about something and you put the time into it, then you're going to be successful. And 
And if you don't know how to do something, when you're passionate about something, it's easier to learn and it's more exciting to learn and, and take in those new concepts and, and gather those new skills and, and start down a new path. So it really makes a difference when you have that drive. Well, the thing is, you, you can't fail if you don't try. That's right. And you can't succeed if you don't try either. <laughs> yeah, and you won't be successful if you don't fail about 10 times on the way there. Exactly. Absolutely. Actually, so, so just a random kind of cool thing. Well, the one thing is, yeah, we look at like, uh, I know we're kind of like doing circles around agreeing with each other, but like you look at somebody like Elon Musk, you know, it, it was failed startups, then PayPal, then all of what he does now. He's not a freaking rocket scientist. Like, you think when he started PayPal, he was like, you know, the next company is going to be sending rockets <laughs> to outer space and having land back on Earth so that you don't have to waste all of that money and, and uh, energy and, and metal, right? Like, he didn't, I, there's no way he thought that. Like, if he did, it was like a goof, right? But, but yeah. it's just the drive and determination to learn something and figure it out and put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, something funny on that same note, talking about like early stage startups and stuff like that is I just was at this one conference and it was full of politicians and the biggest freaking hedge fund managers in the world. And uh, it was kind of weird to be there, honestly, because some of the people are, you know, people who, who if you're super hardcore into crypto, you probably don't necessarily love. Um, but I was, I was there and one of the panels was um, a VC panel. It was about innovation and, and Tim Draper was on it. And it was really cool. And his whole thing was like, was basically explaining that most VC, most people, when they look at something, they think of all the things that could go wrong. And if you look at startups at early stage, there's way more things that could go wrong than could actually go right. But it's the VC's job to look at it and go like, what if this actually happens? How epic would this be? How incredible and world-changing would this be? And then they bet on it, knowing that most of the time, they're going to be wrong. And then, but the one time they're right um, amongst those ones should pay back in dividends for all the times they've been wrong, right? So, like, there's also this type of mentality you almost have to have when looking at this space. Uh, you know, when you're talking about companies building things and doing things and changing behaviors completely, that you have to just go like, most of these companies are probably not going to be around. Uh, there might be a different version of them six months or a year from now or six years from now, but like, what if this goes right? Like, what if this actually happens? Like, what? Like, just look at some of the companies trying to do epic stuff in the space and go, like, one of these is going to do something really huge, right? Because they all have these crazy, ambitious ideas, um, right. and it's it's crazy kind of it's cool to look at it that way and, and kind of inspiring. And um, I don't know, it's you know, totally kind of went on an ADD tangent there. It's so it's so fun. I love it. Yeah, I love it's it. so true. I mean, for me, crypto investing is kind of like a small scale version of, of venture capital funding, you know, more or less. You, it's that risk versus reward scenario. And um, but on a on a much different scale, of course, but it, it, there's so much potential for if something goes right. Like you said, like, I mean, yeah. they're, they're all risky. Every startup is risky or any any crypto you're investing in is risky. But that's that's why you got to pick those ones that have the most epic potential. And if you invest in ten things and nine fail, but that tenth one just fucking turns into SpaceX or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's it's taking that chance and and 
making that analysis of which ones could pay out if they can get their shit together. And then, and then on top of that, you, you have to also look into it as uh, I'm now part of this and what can I do to help out? And I know yep. that's apply in a lot of cases, but just talking about it, spreading the word is, is huge. So it's, well, there's a lot we'll of look at like yeah we'll look at like crowdfunding for example right like uh people it, it hasn't taken off in the way you know I, I would wish that that whole industry could take off but that's partly for for regulatory and, and legal reasons and it's partly because um it's a pain in the butt in general so companies that can raise money faster just raise money in different ways but but the crowdfunding idea and in industry works when it's done right you look at like companies that raise money on Republic and stuff like that. You might think that somebody who invests a hundred bucks in a deal or a thousand bucks in a deal on one of those sites doesn't really move the needle or help. But that company having an army of investors and an army of people who want to see it succeed get a kind of marketing value that's not possible uh, any other way. Like just having a thousand people or even a hundred people who just go, I want this company to succeed. The next time a new product comes out, I'm posting it on Facebook. The next time uh, I can do something, I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about it on Twitter. I'm going to share it on LinkedIn, whatever. That, that value is, is crazy amazing. It's why I kind of wish and hope that security tokens or they're a version of an ICO that's, that's legal and you know, doesn't have weird, weird, scary legal implications for the people involved like takes off because I, I really believe that we could all, every single individual make a difference. And then having access to that kind of stuff will make a difference to, to every single one of us. Like, you know, most of us can't afford the $25,000 minimum check that like angel groups have on them uh, when investing in a company or even a $10,000 minimum to invest in a company on on uh, angel list or something. And that's even if we're allowed to participate. Most of us are not allowed because we don't make enough money, which is freaking offensive and weird and doesn't make any it's sense. Ridiculous. But, well, it's ridiculous. And, and we can all agree on that. So like, but, but now imagine, you know, I, I shared that Uber thing uh, a few weeks ago that was going around and it was like a, a picture of some, some internal document that basically says, this is how much this person invested. And this is how much the estimated worth is at IPO. And it was like 20... I don't remember the specific numbers, but a $25,000 investment was like tens of millions of dollars today. Right. And imagine if you just put 100 bucks in that company and it turned into a few hundred thousand dollars. Like That would be insane. And maybe you would have had to do that with 100 companies till you had one winner. But it, it would have, you know, on average, paid for itself and done awesome. And that's that's world changing because that it, means every community can participate. It just goes to show that the world favors the wealthy. Period. There's, well, there's definitely, yeah. There's the no way. Favors the wealthy. Well, yeah. There's and there's <laughs> no way around that, really. And but crypto found a way. Okay, crypto lets the average guy, the average person, have that opportunity. So, you know, that speaks volumes to me. And, and, and that's one of my other reasons for the passion behind my motivation. Totally. And, and what's the, the problem is it's trying to be squashed. The U.S. Is, is playing games with it and stuff. And some of that is, is politicians just kind of, uh, you know, throwing out platitudes so that they could feel like they're, uh, they're doing something special, which they're really not doing anything. And then some of that is like, 
people whose job it is to enforce the rules. And I don't really blame them. It's the people who created the rules in the first place that need to change them uh, for, for this day and age. But like, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's crazy. Things need to change. And they're going to, what's going to happen is the rest of the world is going to leapfrog us because we're legally not going to be able to participate. Like you, the value, the extreme value comes at the earliest stage. So like, even in the VC fund world, like this, this, research that I did back in the day, basically looked at all of the funds around like the VC funds, and they categorize them by stage. And like, in the later stages, the people that write the 10, $20 million checks to companies, it's less risky because the company is still alive and doing well enough to where uh, somebody would want to invest $10 million in them. So they're more likely to succeed at that stage, but the return for the investor is, is smaller. And the people who write the smaller checks, like the seed stage uh, startup uh, funds, like the, the seed investors, they actually end up as a category doing much better. Like if, if they diversify enough and they build a large enough portfolio, seed stage funds actually outperform the rest of them. So if you look at it in the crypto world, if you can be at that early stage pre them having a token online or pre having a security token that's trading and once that kind of takes off, the most value you'll have is getting access to them at that earliest stage. And still in the United States, you really can't participate in that unless you're a credit investor. So what will happen is people in the rest of the world will participate. Um, and, and then the people in the United States won't capture the biggest opportunity to get the most value out of a company. And that's totally messed up. And if, if, you know, they don't get their act together, that's, that's going to keep happening. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. I mean, the fact that unless you're an accredited investor, you can't invest in an ICO or an IEO or, you know, margin trading, you know, any of that kind of stuff, just because of regulatory stuff, you know, the, the whole, it's, it's all protect yourself from yourself kind of thing, you know? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's not exactly. Yes, that's, that's what the premise is supposed to be. And it's like originally, you know, the stuff was created back in the day when you would find out about investment opportunities like only in person, right? And there was no such thing as real due diligence other than like meeting the actual people unless right. you were the huge, you know, organization or bank. So like the rules were created supposedly to protect poor people from like, you know, meeting some dude in a CD bar who's going, I got access to this deal or selling somebody's <laughs> fake certificates because you literally had to have the paper certificates, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, like, so that it was to, to keep people from being scammed back in the day. Um, but that that is a totally different world. And you could Google search somebody and learn more about them than they could ever back then do, uh, you know, in, in any way, right? Like, right, right. So, yeah, take them for the word back then. So yeah, so like there's also cool things that are being created. Like actually one of the companies that that's in our portfolio is a company called Innovesta. And they're an Israeli-based company. So, you know, uh their their CEO um and uh the co-founders like Yali and Karen are, are some of like the, the smartest people I ever met. And all they're doing is basically creating these crowd-powered due diligence rooms so that people who want to invest in a company or in, uh, in, in anything can go online and basically do research together and, and decide, you know, like, is, is this legit? Because what, what people have realized in the crowdfunding world, um, in the 30 days a campaign is live, like the public ends up finding out more information about any of the companies 
than anybody can do with a background check or research. Because just imagine, you know, if uh, a campaign is going to get thousands of investors, there's probably millions of people looking at it, right? Because not everyone ends up investing. And those millions of people are all interested in doing research. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, being motivated, one super motivated person is going to end up learning more and finding out more information than just, you know, a person whose job it is to, to do something. So like the crowd ends up doing way better due diligence. Like we see it in the crypto space all the time on Twitter and stuff, right? Like people who catch, catch people doing, uh, doing things or finding videos of people doing bad things or their past or figuring out if somebody changed their name or like weird stuff like that. Oh yeah, it's they're all over crazy, it. The crazy <laughs> stuff that's happened in the Twitter world, right? Or pictures um, of some creepy world. dude with yeah. teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly that. Well, that and that that crazy idiot like posted it publicly on on Twitter too. It just yeah. a whole <laughs> level of insanity. Um, but, look at um, me! I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, and that, that's that's the nicest way to put it, right? <laughs> yeah, um, right. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, um, you know, he probably wishes the the worst thing somebody called him was an idiot. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy. Right. I mean, but so, so yeah, so, so I, I, uh, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of, of the idea of everyone being able to participate. And I think it will make the whole, the whole ecosystem better. And that, that's, what's great about crypto. Unfortunately, you know, hopefully I I keep going back to the U S is not really allowing us to, to let it reach its full potential. I can't, I can't deny that there's been times where I've thought about trying to relocate just for, for that reason that not, not so much yeah. like because of now the investment issues, but like the potential we're missing out on going forward, you know? Yeah. Well also like you notice every single exchange is, has like a location in different place. And that's also like a thing that, that is a, a privileged kind of U S anomaly. Actually not just U S but any country that has, very hard regulations and taxation on things. You'll notice that the venture funds and and the uh, and the VCs, even not in the crypto space, will have a headquarters in the Cayman Islands or or somewhere like that. Right. And the reason is 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 purely just U.S. rules and laws forcing them to do that, which ends up just creating opportunities for people in other countries instead of instead of here, like. Uh, I don't know. I'm ba- I, I live in LA, so like a funny thing all the time is people talking about um, the the entertainment industry, and like I'm on every sort of measurement, like a extremely sort of liberal person, right? In the in the politics game, but like uh, the overboard taxation and stuff basically means that every single movie that's done in Hollywood is not actually done in Hollywood anymore. Most of it's done in like Toronto or something, right? Um, right. <laughs> or, or somewhere else. And so it's, it's so funny that like, uh, all these policies do really is take people, they, they, they're greedy and it ends up taking, uh, instead of earning a, a piece of something, right? They, they earn a piece of nothing. Uh, it's, it's really weird. And U.S. law, especially on the banking side is very much like that super short sighted trying to keep control and power. In, in certain people's hands, but the, the cat's out of the bag and, and, you know, it's not hard to circumvent those people anymore. Um, 
And the more people learn about it, the less power that they're going to have unless they participate in a fair way because now everything's going to be transparent. Absolutely. So speaking of regulatory stuff um, and the U.S. US government, you know, you're talking about politicians trying to feel relevant by attacking crypto or you know, similar types of tech. Brad Sherman is a hot topic for you, obviously. Um, I know you're trying to get a debate. How how's that going? Are you making any progress on that? Have you made any contact uh, with his offices or anything, or is it still up in the air? No, I, I get I get no response, and I don't expect to get a response. Yeah, because you can you can see like uh, I just talked to someone who's um, uh, Gerard. What's his last name? Um, he's the head of the Blockchain Government Association or, or something like that, and uh-huh. he basically is trying to lobby and get government officials to do cool things, similar to the Digital Chamber of Commerce, which you saw. Um, did a really cool thing and had, I think it was like five or seven, I think it was five uh, governors or uh, Congress people to, um, to sign a thing supporting the blockchain industry, which was cool. But um, what, you know, he was trying to get Sherman to come to an event and I, you know, I, I, I hope it happens, but what you notice on all of the statements that he makes is they're very prepared and they feel very, you know, like someone else prepared them, right? Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed when I listened was like, who paid you to say that? (laughs) Yeah, and it's not even like, it. well, it is that, right? Because people, that's another thing that's great about the space. He said that, and before, uh, you know, I called him out, I wrote an article about it, whatever, before the article was even published, after I wrote it, and before the article was published, because I did it, so I live right next to his district, and I have a startup group where like about 2000 of the members in 805 startups, the startup group I started that I don't really run anymore. My, my, my childhood friend and partner runs it. He's, uh, he's awesome. But like 2000 or so of the startup entrepreneur people, members of that group live in his district. So I got the local business journal, the San Fernando Valley business journal to, to, to actually like publish an article that the title of it was like Brad Sherman is wrong about. Bitcoin or something like that. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I read that. That was a nice, well-written article. I read that this afternoon. Oh, thank actually. you. Yeah, I had to shorten it a lot because they had like requirements, so, <laughs> which I think ended up toning it down and making it much more respectful. So in the long run, it's probably better. But in the <laughs> short term, I was a little, uh, I was a little bummed about it. But like, so they published that article, and and I've kind of you know chased after him and all that. But like, you can tell, you know, that that these are just prepared statements and he doesn't have a good response when anybody asks him a question about it. And he says like the same, he falls in the same stupid traps that people that don't understand the space fall into, which he does the like, you know, I believe in the blockchain, but I don't believe in Bitcoin. And then he <laughs> makes statements about it used for illegal things, except for the US dollar is used for way more illegal things. And if you ask any FBI agent, I literally just watched a panel of multiple FBI agents talking about how they wish that all the criminals they were chasing after were were transacting in crypto versus dollar because it's more traceable. So it's like, but people who know better understand that what they're saying is completely stupid and makes no sense, but they're talking to an audience that doesn't know what we know. They're talking to an audience where 90 something percent of, uh, you know, 99 probably percent of the US public has never really used or transacted in crypto. They might know if heard Bitcoin, that doesn't mean they know how it works, right? So, exactly. um, so, so, you know, that's who he's talking to. 
And he's talking on behalf of the people who paid him to be in office, right? And that was the funny thing about the, what I was saying about the article that I, I didn't mention just saying goes in the time I wrote the article to when it was published, because it took them a couple of days to publish it into like the next version of the paper because it comes out once a week or once every two weeks or something. All of the crypto community dug up all sorts of fun information about Sherman, basically <laughs> showing all of the financial services firms and firms who are directly threatened by crypto becoming popular um, were his biggest uh, uh, supporters because he's been in office for a really long time. And because he's on the financial services committee, uh, every large financial institution that is against crypto is, uh, is a contributor to his campaign. And we're not talking about, you know, a thousand dollars. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars over the years or, or more. Um, so it's obviously a huge conflict, right? So, um, so it's just, it, it's total BS. And you realize too, he just doesn't even know what he's talking about. So, even when I make these claims, I say, you get to pick the moderator. You get to pick the format. I'll just supply a location and a live feed. Right. Uh, like you don't need much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he, he never even responds. And maybe I should have reached out in like a very nice and respectful way before the article coming out in his local. That might have bettered your odds like, there, bud. <laughs> yeah, I probably would have. But like also what's, what's funny is, um, you know, the people who read those papers too, like let's be totally honest, are the people who elect him, right? Like, like uh, yeah. if I would have done it on, uh, you know, I don't know, SoCalTech.com or just on any crypto blog or anything that's like tech and and blockchain related, um, you know, a very small portion of the people who actually vote in his jurisdiction would see it. But to go to the local business journal, that's basically like read by all the insurance salesmen and wealth managers and people, corporate type folks that live in his jurisdiction, um, uh, that's, that probably hurt him more. Except for the thing is, they see his name and Bitcoin and they probably agree with him too because they don't know any better. You know, like I did a cool thing um, not that long ago where I got asked by um, NBC Universal. It was kind of epic. I was kind of bummed I didn't spend the whole day because I got to go onto like the Universal lot to talk to the um, executives about blockchain and Bitcoin and stuff. And it was like, they do this thing called like, I forgot what it was like a lunch and learn or like an innovators lunch or something where they learn about technology. And somehow, uh, you know, somebody who was on my newsletter, like worked there and could convince them that, that I should um, speak to their executives at one of these monthly learning lunch things. And I went in, the first thing I asked was, uh, uh, I almost didn't, present anything in my presentation because I started asking them questions and then it just turned into like a full, it was really educational for a lot of them, I bet, but it was kind of fun for me because the first thing I asked was, how many of you think Bitcoin is a scam? <laughs> like three people raised their hand and the oldest dude in the room literally like stood up and started explaining to me why this was bullshit. Oh, <laughs> And it was so good because his main argument was like, gold is real and like <laughs> technology has no value. And I'm like, do you think Amazon is worth something? Because technically, like, there's nothing physical about the code that keeps Amazon online. Yeah. Now they have, now they have a bigger business with, uh, you know, distribution centers and things like that. But like the average website, do you think that the website for Universal Studios or Universal Pictures or NBC, whatever, do you think the website is valuable? 
Because that's not real. That's just a website. That's just on the internet. Does that add any value? Like I just, you know, uh, was talking to him about it and it was so fun. But like the other people in the room started arguing with him. And uh, it was it was great. It turned into a really cool thing. But like there's so many people, regardless of age, regardless of industry, that 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 just haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet. And I'm convinced it's purely because they haven't learned yet. Because do you guys know anyone who got sucked in, learned everything about crypto, learned everything about blockchain, learned everything about, you know, the the whole space and then wasn't like fully bought in and and obsessed with it. Like I, I've never met somebody who's like, nope. you know what? I know just as much as you about Bitcoin and it's stupid. You know, like uh, Yeah. It's all I, I a matter of getting that, that education and exposure. Yeah, it is totally. I think you hit it on the head. You just didn't say it in so many words, but you know, there's this thing. I'm an older guy, right? So we used to back in the day, it was you kill them with kindness, right? And if you can kill somebody with kindness, you can really beat their ass and do it tactfully to a point where they walk away from the conversation going, did I just get my ass kicked? Because you did it with (laughs) such tact and such grace that they don't even realize they're getting their ass kicked until it's over. And and that's what you call tact right there, right? I think I think that's the only real way to change somebody's mind too, right? Like I think that um, you know, you people that that don't get it are not it's not that they don't get it because most of the time, right? Like if we have some exceptions, like people who are paid by uh people who who are against it, right? And they yep. might understand it and that's why they're fighting it. But for the most part our our friends and family and people in our neighborhoods and people at the restaurants you go to to try to get to accept crypto the only reason why they might be against it is because they don't understand it. Sure. Because one, if you understand it and still aren't super into it, you still have no reason to not accept crypto. Because just as a business person, it's like saying, I won't accept Visa because, you know, I it's don't like digital. It's digital. It's not real. Yeah, because you, you get dollars in your bank account when it's done. So if they don't want to hold Bitcoin, they could use any of a ton of products that will allow them to accept it. And it'll come into their bank account that moment in cash, just like doing anything else. And now they have another group of people who are interested in supporting them. So exactly. Like, you know, they clearly don't understand. So, but for the foot, but you know, that that's that's you know why what you guys are doing is is so amazing. You're you're teaching people and you're converting them, or at least educating them to the point where they'll be able to make the right decision and understand that there's so many cool things you could do. And we live in a country, like if we're being totally honest, where transacting in, in Bitcoin is, uh, is not easier or better for the user experience than just using a credit card or a debit card. Yeah. But it, you know, we, we see the value in a bunch of aspects of it. And there's so many cool things that's, that are going to happen in the future and really cool apps that are making it easier and stuff. And what we do get that's really cool is we get to view the rest of the world where in some countries, in some places, you know, we, uh, you know, in, in some places, it literally is life changing. It's literally the only way for them to hold money because their currency is it's not worth shit. And like, I forgot what, what country it was. Um, Argentina, um, one uh, really developed country, not, you know, we're not talking about war torn countries, but there's one really developed country that, um, shoot, I'm trying to remember, you guys might know, um, 
they recently the basically uh, Bitcoin going up this last little run made it so that even if you bought in their currency Bitcoin at 20k at the at the top at the tippy top um, and you held that versus holding their currency Bitcoin has appreciated more so we we look at it against the dollar we look at it against uh, you know maybe the euro or something in in the more developed countries but you go the rest of the world um, even at less than half uh, of what the value was before to us there's other countries in the world where Bitcoin is actually still a better uh, in investment in, or at least store of value, right? So like for the rest of the world and and then let's talk about just war-torn countries with people, you know, fleeing and things like that. Like, there's no way to, to keep your money in those countries. So all of a sudden, you know, we, we've, there's this uncorrelated thing that you can use to, to keep your money and to, to get paid by working online or something. And you don't have to be dependent on your country's economy, which is just insane to think about just from just a few years ago right like it's it's a totally different world like borderless um in the in the best way right like so i don't know i'm obviously we're we're you know in an echo chamber but i i love it i'm glad you brought that up because that that's the thing that people don't see or don't understand just on a broad scale is that uh just because we're used to what's what we have for a fiat which is a somewhat stable currency I mean, I'm not going to call the dollar stable, but in comparison, it's extremely stable, you know, so we get used to that, but people don't get that other countries uh, some, in a lot of places, their currencies are extremely volatile and, and it can vary from day to day, like on crazy levels and, and people don't make that connection. So it's, it's, it's kind of a good thing to bring attention to. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, all of those government currencies are based on in localized economies too, at best, right? If you're not right. even considering any of the fraud and the, and, and the, the sort of, um, uh, corruption, right? So like we had the crisis in 2000, 2008, which, um, you know, is one of the reasons why Bitcoin even exists, right? Like things like that. And, right. um, you know, a house's worth was, you know, tied to a dollar, right? And maybe a house could have been a million dollars the day before the crisis and then, you know, worth $600,000 after the crisis or whatever, uh, depending on where, where in the country, whatever you live. Um, uh, so like if you had your money stored not in dollars, but in some something that's tied more to the whole global economy or to something that was not affected by governments and financial institutions, you, your money would have probably been worth, you know, if it went down 40% in the United States, technically your money would have been worth at least, you know, that, that much more, um, if you were holding Bitcoin versus the dollar at that moment. Um, right. assuming that the, the, you know, people holding Bitcoin aren't as tied to the U.S. economy as the rest of the world. And, you know, I think it is truly global. And I don't know if, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, proportionately, you know, Bitcoin holders are, are you know, tied to, to the U.S. versus the rest of the world. But anyway, like, you know, imagine if you had your money in Bitcoin at that point, and then the day after the crisis, you could have bought a house at a 40% discount. <laughs> um, like, that's that's, that, that's a crazy way to look at it, but that's how it is happening in, in the rest of the world. Their, their currencies are going down every day by multiple percent. And if Bitcoin, you know, stays the same or goes up, they're making money uh, even at a higher level than the rest of us, or 
you know, even with Bitcoin going up and down and being so volatile, it's still better than those currencies, which is crazy. Let's talk. Let's talk about inflationary, you know, purposes. I mean, look at look at the dollar and inflation and what, you know, every time the government prints more money, technically that almighty dollar that you hold is actually worth less. Right. So so that being said, Bitcoin, you cannot make more than the total supply. So inflationary wise, isn't there a certain point with Bitcoin that it, the, the value will just be so high because of that? Because it's there's almost no inflation to it? You know, I, I think there's lots of theories and stuff around it. I think what's interesting is that like most of the people who I don't try to... Um, I, I don't try to make like the price predictions because I really don't know how much of it. And maybe it's just me not wanting to be a trader and not wanting to fully commit because then I don't have to um, do it. <laughs> but like looking at the people like, you know, that say 100K, 250K, million dollar Bitcoin, whatever it is by a certain date, I think a lot of that is purely focused on having a, a financial crisis in the United States or, or around the world. And, and I think that. It's that's part of the appeal is to have a non-correlated asset, right? Like something that is is more global versus uh, versus tied. You know, when the U.S. does have a financial crisis, it does affect everyone in the world because so many of those things are interconnected and interweaved. But I think, and and you know, this might just be you know amateur hour kind of math and thoughts in my head because I'm not an economist. Um, I, I think that that. Um, that that you know if if and when there is a financial crisis which the way politics are going around the world it feels like will will happen um bitcoin will be will 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 be one of the top assets to go into and gold always rises in those times um but i don't think gold is as appealing to people it's not as easy to transfer it's not as easy to move and you know the the wealthiest people in the world don't want their money in cash anymore like they're scared of that, which is a huge sign that that the rest of us should be doing the same thing because historically uh, they've they've won and we've lost. So let's uh, let's steal some some ideas from their playbooks. So um, guys, I'm I'm so sorry. I've got to get I've got to get running. I'm three minutes late to a call. Um, is there uh, and I apologize for starting a, a little late. Is there anything uh, I can help with or? We should do this again. I'm totally stoked. We went on a total random tangent. Um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely need a part two for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, There's no question about that. Definitely a part two. Well, it's good to have you on, man. Let's let's definitely plan for a second one. And I'll let you get yes. your other call here, and uh, we'll we'll coordinate soon, and and we'll make another part two happen here shortly. Heck yeah! Sounds good, guys. I I appreciate it, and I'm I'm stoked on everything that you guys are doing, and I hope uh, you guys come to CIS in October. We're going to announce uh, a lot of details soon. And let's get you guys doing the podcast there. Oh, man, that'd be great. Dude, that'd be sweet to do a live podcast from CIS. Oh, heck yeah, yeah, that'd be off the hook, man. Yeah, definitely. We can touch on that for sure. (laughs) Consider it a done deal. Done deal. All right, cool. I'll I'll start bugging you guys. Heck yeah. Perfect. Please do. anytime, man. Sounds good, guys. Thank you so much. I'll I'll see you soon and see you on Twitter. Sounds good. You have a great one. Take care. Thank you. That was awesome having him on. I swear. Wow. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with information. I'm sure you guys are too. Uh, Very smart, very smart individual. It was a pleasure talking to him. I mean, we could go on for at least another 
three, four hours. And I, I would really need to make a beer run because that was just crazy. Uh, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy was nuts. It was, it was awesome. So I hope you guys enjoyed this for sure. Professor, what do you think? We're definitely going to have to do another one. I love Alon, man. He's, he's got such crazy insight and he's involved with so many different things and has so many different uh, areas of experience. He's definitely an out of the box type of guy, right? He's definitely yeah, an out of the yeah, box absolutely. type of guy. He thinks outside of the box a hundred percent and he's always looking for what the, you know, what, what can I do next to improve what I'm doing? And that was something I wanted to say during the conversation, you know, was that I think the thing that limits us as individuals is two things. I think the first thing that limits us is failure. When we fail, we give up. Most people, right? The average person, when they don't succeed, they're going to say, oh, that didn't work. And then they might go on to something else, right? And then you right. got the other ones that just keep struggling at it. And you know what? Failure is just a learning curve. Failure is just a tool that you use to succeed. And without it, you can't succeed. If you never fail, you will never succeed, period. That's just the end of the story. So, you know, thinking outside the box is where we all as individuals need to be. And I think when people open their mind and actually peek outside around the corner of that damn thing, they realize there's a whole nother world out here, bro. Oh, yeah. And it's so much about the dedication. And and like we talked about on, on the show is, you know, the drive with just accomplishing what you set out to. And even if it takes 10 years, like you said, you know, that sometimes stuff doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of effort and you just have to keep going and you have to fight and, and make it through. And, and, you know, I, I think that's something that I've always almost enjoyed was that like, you know, things get hard, but then knowing that I can just kick it in high gear and put my head down and go a hundred and eventually I'll get there. <laughs> so it's, Heck yeah. it's, it's, it's tiring sometimes, but God damn, it's exciting. Sometimes you got to kick your own ass off the pity train and just get get after it. You oh, know? All the time, man. I... <laughs> oh, it sucks getting on that son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, where am I going? What am I doing? This is, uh, I'm never going to get this done. And then sometimes you just have to sit back and. And keep on driving, man. There's, there's just no way around it, you know? And. No, never quit. These, never these podcasts just get better and better, man. I, I really enjoyed this one. I hope you all did too. We look forward to doing another one with Alon. Uh, really looking forward to these podcasts, man. I, I swear, I, I think I'm starting to lose sleep over them every night because I'm so excited for it. It's like, <laughs> just thinking you know, about it's it like that little kid day, going like, to Cedar Point. Oh right. Yeah. Going to the amusement You're park. Be able to we get to do another October. one. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be fucking sweet. I'm stoked. Alon, that's, I, I appreciate you extending that opportunity. We are looking forward to it. I can't wait to see you in October. Absolutely. So thanks for joining us today. It was a great time. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, please give us your feedback. Um, let us know if there's other things you guys want us to explore. We're, we're into you. So it's, it's what you guys want. And I don't know, Professor, we've been seeing a lot of feedback or not really. I, I, I can't recall seeing too much as far as things people want to see or things people want to hear, I should say. Yeah, nothing like specific. You know, we've got people that are, are liking it, but uh we haven't had any requests for anything or anything like that. So maybe that means we're doing everything right, but I highly <laughs> doubt it. So if you guys think or have us change or, or something you want included in the shows or, or if you just want to come on and say, hi, uh, let us know. So Absolutely. We, we keep improving this and, and make it the best it can be. We're looking forward to what you guys think. 
Hell yeah, definitely. Guys, you have a great evening. And uh, I'm going to actually I'm headed to another establishment right now and I'm going to go spread some more adoption, baby. Go plant some more seeds. I'm like Johnny frickin Appleseed. (laughs) Right on. So until then, guys, have a great night. All right, y'all take it easy. Peace.